Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. In last week's episode, we completed our look at my big move into Jerusalem with the first song Asaph and his comrades lift to me in this historic moment. It's all found in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 7 through 36, which we went through together, and I highly recommend you listen to again if you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you have it open before you, or just listened to it, or can remember it still ringing in your ears, what can we say but, wow, so much there, right? Not to belabor the point, but it's going to be a lot easier to call on my name in verse 8 if you include it like it's written, give thanks to Yahweh, call on his name. We're going to talk about some specifics here that you really need to have on your radar. So if you didn't listen to it last week or have forgotten it since then, cue up the end of last week's episode unless you're a real scholar and want to read it for yourself in 1 Chronicles 16, 7-36. I loved the part early on where the theme of seeking me comes in. Do that, friend, and everything else falls into place. And did you notice the first human to enter the song? Yep, Abraham. It's all in there. The Abra plan, the non-existence of the neighbor gods, the whole creation getting in on the praise. Beautiful. If you've not read Chronicles before, it all might still sound familiar. Which brings us to another awesome overlap juncture. The song lyrics recorded in 1 Chronicles 16, 4-36 also show up in the book of Psalms, spread across the first half of Psalm 105, all of 96, and then back to the start and finish of Psalm 106. So now there are three texts in the owner's manual covering this important moment. We'll have more to say about the Psalms at another point, but I really like the triple convergence and thought you would do. The whole sequence ends with our obsessive chronicling disorder pal filling in all the details of who's going to be doing what in the vicinity of my ark, who's watching the door, who's making the sacrifices and burnt offerings, who's making music, who's dusting the furniture. Amongst the musical crew are Haman and Jeduthun, those chosen and designated by name to give thanks to Yahweh for his love endures forever. Uh, that's First Chronicles 16.41. More beauty. When the human drama resumes in Second Samuel 7, uh, remember, we last saw David scolded by his agnostic wife when he got home from the party, celebrating the watershed moment of our return into our people's lives. There's a feeling of the passing of a good time. David has settled into his house, built out of all that northern cedar, and I have given him rest from all his enemies around him. The king has some time to think for a change, and naturally he's thinking about me. He's loving his cedar-lined, moth-free home, 
and gets around to contrasting his personal luxury with what he perceives to be my certain lack thereof out in my tented domicile. It's touching, really, and a bit insulting at the same time. This Yahweh needs a temple, which is what one called a godhouse at the time, is a fusion of habitat thinking and parallel misunderstanding of me. I point out to David that I've never asked for a house and that I don't need one. For heaven's sake, the universe is my house. If I were to seek some kind of structural home, I'd need more elbow room than any planetary dwelling can provide. It's a quaint idea, but it provides the perfect opportunity for another important pivot in the Abra plan. Since David's thinking about house building, enjoying his, and wanting the same thing for me, apparently, now is the time to take the next major step. The timing of this step also coincides with David's finally having captured the final extent of what I have been promising all along, the promised land. Thanks to David, and his trust in me, of course, the borders we laid out in promise to Abram back in Genesis uh, 1518, that is, those promises are fulfilled. Israel is in possession of the land from the river of Egypt, also known as Wadi el-Arish, to the river Euphrates. The land to the south has been in the bag for quite some time now, but David is the one who stretches his rule north fully to the promised river border. I'll admit this has to be inferred at this point, but you can tell that David's already been all the way to the Euphrates and taken control of the land, the moment we've been waiting for, in the next chapter of Samuel, when he heads up there and conquers King Hadadezer, who's got a boundary-marking monument at the Euphrates River. 1 Samuel 8, verse 3. Before we leap into the big moment we are about to have with David, let us reflect for just a moment on the promised land milestone. This promise has taken generations and hundreds of years, starting with Joshua, or much longer if you start your count with Abraham. However, we are referring primarily to the land's conquest. That process of generations climaxes now with David. Many over the course of that time gave up on my promise of the promised land. Many didn't question my promise so much as they trusted in their own ability to make it happen rather than in mine. And so who, then, is the one who sees my promise through to the end? The one who so believes that I am able to keep my word that he stands up as an adolescent with nothing but a handful of smooth riverbed stones against a heavily armed juggernaut giant, and wins. David totally understands that he is in partnership with me and that I am the decidedly senior partner. Joshua understood that too, which is why he accomplished so much, or rather, we accomplished so much together in the South at the beginning. I wasn't saving the northern border for David. Others after Joshua could have gotten there, but did not. David is simply the first leader to have the opportunity plus the faith and vision large enough to believe my promise and then step out in reliance on me to claim it. Okay, hit the 15-second rewind and listen to that last sentence again.
By this point in our journey together, you know we've got to apply something like that to your own life, right? Now, hear this first. As much as I'm gushing about David here, he is not perfect, which we'll be noticing right around the corner here, and in the end is merely human. A human very, very much like you, friend. What sets him apart from Saul and the other military leaders before him who didn't claim the promised land is David's view of me and my ability to keep my promises. Those before him lost sight of me and of my promises. Which of my promises to you have you lost sight of? I, I will get around to a tidy exposition of those at some point, but, but for now, trust my spirit's whispers in your ear in this regard. Are you trusting in yourself to make things happen, or in me? Now, do a promise check and make sure you really are thinking about something I have promised, not simply something you want a lot. If it's something that is of great and real benefit to others, it's for me. If it's all about you, well, perhaps you need to hear again my promise of a life of deep value, meaning, and joy. That may seem too far off and bodacious for you right now, a little bit like Joshua must have felt crossing the border with his ragtag army of herders, being told they were going to conquer all the land all the way north to the Euphrates. Did Joshua declare war on the northern territories at that point? No. Promise fulfillment takes time sometimes. Joshua handled the lands at hand and did what he could do, trusting that I could do what he couldn't at that point, and that I would do what I'd promised. The point is, and you know it by now, but just have to live it, just. The point is that life really is going to work much, much better if you follow Joshua's and David's examples and trust me to get you where I've promised to take you. Take the important step of starting with what's at hand, just like Joshua. Don't be overwhelmed by how much has to be done. Just begin and we will walk on the way together. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way, and until next time, be good to yourself.